Now hear the word of the Lord from John 11:55 through 12:11. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. My name is Justin, and I am the lead pastor here at the church. If you are Newer to our church, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John verse by verse for the past seven months. As you just heard read, today we find ourselves in chapter 12 where where Mary anoints Jesus with a bottle of, well, Gucci perfume that would cost between fifty dollars and $60,000 in today's currency. So this should be an arresting scene for us all this morning. What would cause a person to do something like that? Can you imagine taking your most prized possession? Many scholars believe this to be a family heirloom that had been passed down from generation to generation, and Mary decides to break it open and use it all on Jesus. This would be like us emptying out our 401k, emptying out our bank account, and just putting it all on Jesus. For many of us, this is just crazy. Well, I hope to show you by the end of my sermon that this wasn't crazy. In fact, it was totally appropriate. A.W. Tozer was a pastor in Chicago for 30 years during the 20th century. He died in the late 60s. And he wrote one of his books that I read early on as a Christian, this quote. He said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The mental image we have uh, of God is the most important thing about us. In other words, your theology, what you think God is like, will determine everything else in your life. What you think about God will determine what you love, what you hate, 
what you pursue with your life, what you think life is all about, your goal, your end, your hope. Therefore, your theology determines how you live the rest of your life. If God is small in your mind, then you will live like God is insignificant to the better part of your life. God is small in your mind. You don't really need much. You don't have much time for God. You might give him some occasional thought and worship, but a small God will only affect your life in small ways. But if God is big in your mind, if he is who he says he is and who he has revealed himself to be in the scriptures, then God will be supremely valuable to you. He is the most glorious being in all the universe and he will command your heart's devotion, your soul's worship, your mind's attention and your life's strength. In other words, if God is small in your mind, your response to him will be small. But if God is big, your response to him will be big and will be all-encompassing. Now listen to this. The Bible calls our response to God worship. And that's what our text is all about this morning. It's all about worship. Worship, we get that word worship from worth-ship. What you value, you devote your life to. So today we're going to see what worship is, who does it, and how to do it right. It's where we're going. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being here by your spirit and leading us into all truth. We pray that you would open the minds of people this morning, that you would allow them to hear your word. Father, we thank, first off, we're thankful that we get to worship in a country that is still free. We thank you for all of the veterans that served our country. God, we, we just honor you by honoring them this morning. We also want to pray for Isla as she continues, and we pray for Judy Kenor as well as she continues to battle cancer. God, we thank you that you are the God that heals, and we thank you for the good news that we are hearing, and uh, we just entrust their souls to you. We entrust their bodies to you, and we ask that you would continue to do work on their behalf. Lord God, I also want you to think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords that I am just a man and I am fallible in many different ways in every way and so I ask that you would keep me really close to your word this morning that your people even those who are sitting in darkness even those who have hard hearts even those who are obstinate even those who are worshiping false gods that you would turn the light on in their soul you would call them by name to worship the one and only true God and you do it through your son and through your spirit in Jesus name I pray Amen and amen. All right, well, first thing we see, what is worship? Well, worship is the expression of reverence or adoration by a person to a God. So let me break this down for you a little bit. Worship is a transaction between a human being and a God. Worship is what a person gives to a God. It could be singing. It could be obedience. It could be money. It could be prayers. It could be incense. It could be poses. It could be stretching. It could be a lot of different things. All right? Stretching? It's called yoga. Sorry, didn't know if you knew that or not. But here's the big idea. Worship costs you something. Worship costs you something. That's what it is. It's what we give to God. Worship always costs us something. 
It could be your time, it could be your devotion, it could be your heart, your love, your resources, but it's actually not worship if it doesn't actually cost you something. In 2 Samuel 24, King David was going to offer a sacrifice to God and this man came along and he offered to give David the resources that he needed to do so. He said, here, take this oxen and take this wood wood, and worship your God. But David said, no, I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So that's the first thing we need to know about worship. Worship costs us something. It's the gifts that we give to our God. But here's the second idea. Your worship is determined by the perception of the worth or value of your God. Now, this should make sense, right? If you perceive your God to be small and weak, if he is one of a billion different deities like Hinduism teaches, your worship will be correspondingly small. I can't really afford to give much worship to one in a million deities, right? Or one in a billion deities. So I'm going to give him a nickel, and I hope he's happy, right? Poor guy, one in a million gods, But if you see your God as supremely valuable, your worship will be supremely costly. Now, if you're not a religious person or you're not a Christian in here this morning, you might be tempted to zone out right now, assuming that the topic of worship doesn't pertain to you since you're not overtly religious. But that'd be a mistake. Because every single human being worships. Every human being is inherently religious because they were created in the image of God and therefore everyone worships something. In Latin, this is called homo religiosus. Man is inherently religious. This is why nearly every culture that we've ever researched They have had some form of religion at its center. We always worship that which we think is supremely valuable. No one can choose to not worship. This is an illustration that we've used a lot around here. Think of it like this. Our hearts are like a garden hose with the spigot turned on and nothing on the end. Right? That water is just pouring out constantly. That's worship. Right? The choice isn't do you worship or do you not worship? The choice is where is my worship pointed? What is that garden hose pointing at? Where is my worship going? Everyone worship. God made us as worshiping creatures. The real question is what or who are you currently worshiping? Well, how, how do I know? what I am worshiping. Well, follow the water stream or the overflow of your heart. What has the better part of your attention? What has your love and devotion? What do you spend a large portion of your money on? See, out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. Where our heart is, there are, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So you can follow your bank account, you can follow your time and attention, you can follow your affections, and you can find the object of your worship. Everyone worships something. Now there are many people who think 
the way that Christian, Christians worship on Sunday morning is weird. It, may, it probably is a little weird. You know, what we do on here, it's a little weird. We all wake up early and gather here together, right? We sing songs and lift up our hands, and some of us have tears streaming down our faces. We practice liturgy and speak back and forth to one another. We, we listen to the reading of the scripture. We give our money, and then we listen to me preach for an hour. Like, don't we have better things to do? I hope not, actually. It just seems weird. But now listen to this. Many of those same people have very similar liturgies. They wake up early on Saturday or Sunday. They dress in the same clothes with the same colors as their friends. They carpool together to giant cathedrals where they paint their faces, raise their hands, give their money, sing and dance, and even weep over the performance of their favorite football teams. That is worship. And I've never heard one of these people complain about the length of the game. <laughs> See, everyone worships something. You worship whatever it is that you see as supremely valuable. Whatever it is, you are giving your attention to it. You're giving your worship to it already. Your money and your heart are connected to it. Well, here, listen to this. You might be modern. You might be secular. You might be an atheist. You might not know what you believe. That is your God. Wherever your attention, your time, your focus, that is your functional God. There are no such thing as real atheists. Everyone worships something. You might put science at the top of that. You might put human beings at the top of that. You're still worshiping something. Why? You're made religious. You're made in the image of God. You have to worship something. The sad thing is that many people claim to worship Jesus, and yet most of their worship flows towards other things. They spend far more of their worship on fulfilling their own desires than they do on Jesus. So I hope you see this this morning. The issue isn't, do I worship? The issue is always, who or what? Do I worship? And what we're going to see this morning is the person who worshiped Jesus is ultimately happy, fulfilled, satisfied, while the person who worships anything else will be forever doomed for disappointment. As Eric said, nothing else can take the weight of our glory, the weight of our worship. Everything else will buckle under the weight of our worship. If you worship your kids, you will crush your kids. If you worship your career and you're constantly looking to your career to find meaning and value and worth, your career will fail you and you will fail it and it will crush you. And eventually you start underperforming and they will fire you and hire another one. And they don't care. It will crush you. God is the only one that can carry the weight of your worship. So let's get into it this morning. Verse 55 of chapter 11. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and many went up to the, from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Well, what is the Passover? The Passover was the worship celebration that was done every year to commemorate God sovereignly freeing Israel out of Egyptian slavery so they could worship him again properly. 
We see it in Exodus chapter 12. If you want to go there later today and read about it. We're not going to get into it too much today, but this is the third Passover in the Gospel of John that Jesus has celebrated with his disciples. This is how we know Jesus' ministry lasted approximately three years. Keep reading. Verse 56. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will come to the feast at all? So remember what happened. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. The Jews are irate about it. They've decided we are going to kill this guy. He's blaspheming. He's saying he is the son of God. We're going to kill this guy. So the Jewish, the people are like, oh, he's not coming to town. No way he's coming to town when it's this hot, right? When everybody wants to kill him. Well, let's just see what happens. Verse 57. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, Jesus, they should let them know so they might arrest him. Chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Jesus comes to De Bethany because Lazarus and his sisters have thrown him a party before the Passover. Why did they do this? Because Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, I have no direct evidence of what I'm about to say right here, so it's a bit, a bit speculative, but I have to believe that from this day on, Lazarus' resurrection became like a yearly celebration. Right? Like you, We celebrate birthdays. How about my resurrection day? Right? So they're, they're, they throw this initial inaugural Lazarus' resurrection party. Everybody come out and hang out with us. And that's what's going on here. Verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Here's what I want you to see. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus all loved Jesus. They believed he was the son of God, but something changed for them all the day that Jesus spoke into that stinky tomb three days after Lazarus had been pronounced dead. Something changed. Their faith became sight. They saw it with their eyes. The son of God called that man from death to life. Jesus spoke three simple words. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man got up and lived again. And you say, that's impossible. Yeah, for us it is. For man, it is impossible, but nothing is impossible with God, and Jesus is God. I find it really interesting that Jesus called Lazarus by name. One theologian said, Jesus did this because if he would have just said, come out, every dead person in the region would have came out of their tombs. See, that's the kind of power Jesus has. The same words that spoke creation into being can speak to the dead, and the dead hear his voice and come to him. Remember when Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they respond to me, right? That they follow me. You remember that? Well, even dead sheep respond to the voice of Jesus. That's the kind of authority the Son of God has. Why? He is the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. So Jesus has done this wonderful thing for this family. He's answered these sisters' prayer. Jesus, you could have healed my brother. He's like, 
hold my beer. Okay, I'm sorry to say that, but hold my beer. I'm going to do something even better than heal your brother. I'm going to raise him from the dead. That's what Jesus did for them. Listen to this. Do you think that changed their view of Jesus? Do you think that changed their view of Jesus? Did the value or worth of Jesus go up or go down in their eyes? It went up. It skyrocketed, right? Jesus is supremely valuable to them because of who he is as God and because of what he has done for them and bringing their brother back to life. Now let's look at how they respond to Jesus. How do they worship Jesus for who he is and what he's done for them? We see that specifically in verse two. So they gave a dinner for him there. We call this gospel hospitality at Sacred City. God has blessed us in so many ways that we want to bless others as a way of life. This is why we offer the best coffee in the Quad Cities for free in our atrium. This is why we give away donut holes every time we celebrate God's work in baptism, conversion, or dedication, which seems to be almost every single week around here. This is why we live together in missional communities, opening up our homes, bringing food to share with one another, eating together each week, and sharing our time and our talents and our treasure with our brothers and sisters in Christ on a weekly basis. Serving others is an act of worship to Jesus. And your service to God will be directly proportional to how you think he served you. Right? If Martha is making dinner, she's going through the pantry, and she, right, she comes to the prime rib, or she sees the hot dogs. Right? She doesn't say, like, because of the worship of her heart, she doesn't, like, is this a hot dog meal? Right? Or is this a prime rib meal? Right? First off, your brother who was dead is coming. And the one who raised him from the dead, he'll be here too. And it's in honor of him. She's like, prime rib. It's prime rib night. It's prime rib, right? You don't have to convince her of this. Why? Because she's already been convinced of the supreme worth of Christ. So we see here Martha doing what Martha does. Martha uses the gifts and talents she's been given. Martha's serving. Praise God for Martha. And look at here. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him, with Jesus at table. It's interesting here. Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. The couple of things. The, the tables were really low, really low, like this high off the ground. During that time, they didn't use chairs. So they had pillows on the ground and they would all face the table and their feet would stick out away from the table. So Lazarus is at this party. He's probably exhibit A. Like, I don't know what you look at when you're at this party because you're like, Lazarus, Jesus, Lazarus, Jesus. You're like, what's gonna happen next, right? Lazarus is probably exhibit A for most of the guests who had been to his funeral, <laughs> And now they're here at this party. This is just mind-melting stuff here. But it's interesting to me in the text, in all of Scripture, you never see Lazarus saying anything. Apparently, Lazarus was the strong and silent type. We have no mumbo-jumbo about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel or seeing his soul levitate over his body. 
We don't have any of that nonsense that you get in modern day books of people that supposedly died and then came back to life. We don't have anybody going, Lazarus, what was it like? Lazarus, what did you experience? Right? And Lazarus having some big, long, elaborate, you know, I was up in heaven and then none of this stuff. Lazarus more than likely would have been like, I don't know, I was dead. I don't know what it was like. I was dead, and then all of a sudden I was up, and I was standing in grave clothes in front of everybody. That's all I remember. You guys tell me what happened, right? All I know was I once was dead, but now I'm alive. So what do we see here? We see Lazarus just being present with Jesus. Lazarus is a living, walking testimony to the grace of God and the power of Jesus. Don't underestimate the power of just showing up. Just showing up on Sunday. Just showing up to your missional community. Just being a living testimony to the power and grace of Jesus to change your life. Every single Christian should be ready at the drop of a dime to tell anyone what Jesus has done for them. Even if it's just... I don't know. I once was an idiot and now I'm less so. <laughs> right? So we see we see Mary or we see Martha serving. We see Lazarus just being there being a living witness, a living testimony. And then lastly we see Mary, verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound, technically 12 ounces, think of a, literally like a pop can, of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary does what Jesus calls in Mark 14, a beautiful thing. Jesus is literally here reclining at the table, so his feet are sticking away. Mary comes in. Jesus is just relaxing and eating a good meal. When Mary comes in with this alabaster flask, think of a piece of pottery. You can't open it. The only, it was made one and completely sealed, so the only way to use it was to break it completely open. It was a one-time use product here. It was full of pure nard. This is a perfume that is made from spike nard, and it's imported from India. Judah says it was very costly, 300 denarii, which is equivalent to one year's wages in their day and age. So in today's value in the Quad Cities, that's equivalent to about $56,000. And she takes her most prized possession, she breaks it open and dumps it onto Jesus. And Mark, it says she started with his, his head and anoints him. That's how a king would be anointed. Poured To be anointed means to be set apart for holy use. So she anoints his head and it goes down his body and then eventually it gets to his feet and then she does something completely looked down upon in her society. Women had their hair covering, and their hair covering was, a, was meant to be a covering to them. When they had a married woman, right, she never let her hair down in public. That was for her husband to see only. And here we see her take her hair down and wash Jesus' feet. 
No doubt this would have been a shocking encounter for, for everyone who's there. It's an extravagant act of worship, something that cost her a lot, probably some of her reputation. It was a little scandalous what she did, but also it costed her her most prized possession. But it was appropriate, hear that, it was extravagant and yet it was appropriate for who Jesus is and what he had done for her. This woman saw Jesus as supremely valuable. Jesus meant more to her than her reputation, more to her than her most prized possession, most likely that family heirloom that had been passed down from generation to generation. This here, friends, is worship done right. Worship done right. You see Jesus as he really is, and you see what he has done for you as supremely valuable, incomparable. Nobody else has done anything like this for you. Our children are amazing, but they have not given us anything like Jesus has given us. Jesus in his parables tells us that he is the pearl of great price that we're meant to sell it all for, cash in the farm to get it. And your worship to him corresponds to how valuable and meaningful you see him. So what do we learn about worship here and worshiping Jesus? Number one, we see that you, we are to make our best gift, not our leftovers. We see, interestingly enough, that as she offers up her worship, she makes no demands to Jesus. Listen to this. Christian worship is always a result of supreme gratitude for what Jesus has already done. Christians don't say, God, I'll give you this if you give me that, right? I'll come to, I'll come to church if you do this for me. I'll give financially if you do this for me. That, no, 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 that's not worship. Christian worship is seeing what Christ has already done for us and then willingly and, and worshipfully giving our best back to him. Because of what he's already done for us. She makes no requests. And then lastly, we see this. Her worship has wider ramifications. Think about this, guys. She breaks this perfume, and who gets to enjoy it? Everybody in the house. It says, it says right there, the, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That means other people benefited when we see people worship, that benefits our own soul. When we see people who are going through difficulty and going through struggle, lifting up their hands and singing out that my comfort isn't anything else, my comfort's in Christ, that I don't trust in riches, that I don't trust in comfort, that I don't trust in anything else, I trust in Christ, that worship has wider ramifications and it encourages everybody else's soul. Listen, I hate to tell you guys this, but the front rows at this church are the best places to worship. When I go back to the back after service, it doesn't sound the same back there. Right up here, when we hear everybody else singing and it's hitting us in the back of the head and the band's hitting us in the front of the head, it's a worship sandwich that is just amazing. <laughs> worship has wider ramifications. Not only that, but think about this. This isn't, a couple, this isn't like some CK1, you just spritz it on and then three, three hours later it's gone. Okay, this is some of the most precious 
perfume ever, and it's dumped a 12-ounce can of it. Now, listen, I've, I've got a teenager, okay? So I'm constantly like, bro, that's a little too much, okay? My eyes are watering right now, all right? It's a little too much. This is a 12-ounce can, or a can, 12-ounce bottle. They get poured all over him. This is the week. This is the last week of his life. Jesus says, basically, she's preparing me for burial. She's anointing me for burial. This worship poured upon Jesus, guaranteed it stuck with him all week long. It went into his hair, it went down into his beard, it went into his clothes. Guaranteed, as he's carrying that cross, he's smelling her worship. Guaranteed, as he's hanging on that cross, bleeding his last drop of blood and breathing his last air, he, the last thing, he lifts up his lungs, he tries to fill his lungs up, and what is he filling his lungs up with is her worship. He smells that on the, as he's hanging there on the cross. See, worship has wider ramifications and just us and God. Yeah, you can turn a worship song on in your car and you can get it in in your car. You can do that. You can go out into the garage or you can do it in your living room, but it's different than when you come together to worship Jesus as the body of Christ. The perfume of your worship spreads all around. Look at verse four. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This sentiment is nothing new. Oh, that's a waste of money. You've wasted your worship. We can give it to your money, or we could give it to the poor. We could take your money and give it to the poor. Hmm, that sounds familiar. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. <laughs> Anybody that has the purse strings that asks for money, that's what they're wanting. They're wanting the money for their own personal use here. Now, this is a shocking this should be a verse that smacks us in the face. This is a terrifying verse. This is a verse that shows us proximity to Jesus does not mean that we accurately see Jesus as supremely valuable. This man who saw him walk on water, this man who saw him feed the 5,000, this man who saw him heal the sick, this man who saw him raise the dead, still worships something other than Jesus and that something other than him is clearly money. Jesus is one of his chosen disciples sees money and wealth and financial gain as more valuable than Jesus. This is why Jesus has told his disciples to beware the deceitfulness of riches. Please hear me that. Hear me this morning. The deceitfulness of riches. Riches have a way of deceiving us, tricking us. Judas can't see Jesus as he is as supremely valuable because he cherishes money so much. Money is his, what he worships. Money is most valuable to him. So when he comes a choice between Jesus, the son of God, and money, he chooses money. 
He betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Paul warns Timothy against the love of money. He says it's the root of all kinds of evil, and because of it, it leads many people astray. Money is dangerous. The love of money is incredibly dangerous. Judas, he hides his love of money. He hides his worship of money behind a really pious sounding, oh, the poor people. And of course, Christians take care of the poor. This was a shield to, he didn't want anybody to know what he really worshiped. So he put a big pious shield in front of him to cover his own idol. Verse seven, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Let her worship. She's preparing me for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you. Beware of any political, philosophical scheme that claims to heal all bring everybody up to the same financial level, everybody up, bring everybody up out of poverty. Jesus says it will never happen. The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. In other words, I've got a few days left to live. She's chosen the right portion. Verse nine, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So this was an event that was testified by the Jews themselves, outsiders, not just his disciples. Ever, lots of people knew that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and they're coming to this party not only to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus. And if, Jesus, if Judas's response didn't scare you, this response should. Verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. These people, just like Lazarus didn't care about the poor, these people didn't care about Lazarus being raised from the dead. They could see him with their very eyes, and yet instead of worshiping Jesus, they chose to try to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Now, how stupid of a response. I, I, I wish Jesus would have just said, I wish you would. I wish Jesus would have said that. <laughs> I wish you would. Do it. Psst, up. Right? Do it again. Lazarus is like, quit it. <laughs> They kill Lazarus, he, Lazarus dies, and then their plan is to kill the living, walking testimony. What does this show us? This shows us when we worship false gods, right? When we worship idols, we become fools. Everyone worships. Mary worships Jesus and she gives her special prized possession to him. She sacrifices her riches, her values, valuables to him. 
Judas worships money, and so he sacrifices Jesus for money. The religious leaders worship their own power and position in society, and so it's easy for them to pay 30 pieces of silver to have Jesus arrested, tortured, and killed just to shut him up and keep people from worshiping him. Think about that. Everyone worships. What really matters is who or what you see as supremely valuable. That determines what or who or how you worship. Can I ask you this morning, how valuable is Jesus to you? How valuable is Jesus to you? When you hear the word of Jesus, what comes into your mind? When you think about Jesus, when you read about Jesus, what comes into your mind? How valuable is he to you? How beautiful is he to you? Mary saw Jesus as supremely valuable and her worship of him was beautiful. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how, how God saves us. That it is all his own work and none of ours. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins and Jesus made us alive. Listen, this living picture of what Jesus does with Lazarus is an example of how he saves every single person who comes to him in faith. We say, how do we come to faith? Jesus calls us by name out of our tombs. We were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. By grace alone, through faith alone, we've been saved. That means every person who worships Jesus has had a Lazarus moment. And the good thing, we're going to have another Lazarus moment. See, Lazarus was resurrected to live we don't know how much longer. But then he would die, and then he would go to heaven, right? And then he'll be resurrected again with an eternal body when Jesus Christ comes back. One day, we'll get the true resurrection. See, the true resurrection is after we've been, we've been dead, and Christ gives us a new physical body that we get to inhabit a new physical heaven and earth, a new redeemed and restored earth, and we will never die again. Jesus, if you believe in Christ, Jesus has done that for you. Jesus did not die for a faceless group called humanity. He died for names. Lazarus, come forth. He said to me when I was 18 years old, Justin, come forth. He said to you, maybe you were one, maybe you were in your mother's womb, I don't know. Maybe you're 65, I don't know how old you are, but he speaks your name and says, come forth. And guess what? When I read it, Lazarus didn't have a choice. He didn't like, I was, I was in the by and by, I was by the river Jordan. I was looking at angels, Jesus. You didn't ask my permission to do this. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. He does the same thing to us. I believe he's speaking to you this morning. He's calling all of us. I believe God sovereignly got you here for a purpose. I believe he's calling you this morning, speaking your name and saying, come out, step into the light.
Well, listen, I, I get it. Sometimes it's a fight. It's a fight to see Jesus as supremely valuable. So I went in that song, we're saying more than all riches, more than all comfort, help me. Now help me in this. Help my unbelief, right? Help me to believe this. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. This is why, folks, Christianity is not a solo religion. It's not an individual sport. When we get saved, we get brought into a community. He calls it the body of Christ. That we need Sunday gathering to remind us of the worth of Jesus. That all week long we've been worshiping idols and putting other things as more important than Jesus. And then we get reoriented to right worship on Sunday morning. This is why we need our missional community to come alongside of us when our priorities get out of whack and say, hey brother, what's going on here? Listen, we live in a commercial, consumeristic, individualistic society that just says you worry about you and you worry about yours. And when we get caught up in that stream, one of the things that natural, naturally happens is we devalue Jesus and overvalue something else, whether it's kids' sports or kids' activities or our career or whatever it is. And we will need people that go, hey, man, I haven't seen you at the gathering in a while. Hey, man, I haven't seen you at missional community in a while. What's going on? And you can choose to be incredibly offended and hurt by that, or you can be thankful that you have a brother and sister in Christ who loves you, and all they're trying to do is say, look up to Jesus. Look up to Jesus. This is why we go back to the scriptures, hopefully every single day, have our affections stirred for Jesus. All of this helps us see Jesus as he really is, infinitely valuable and worthy of all of our worship. Now listen, Mary more than likely didn't know what she was doing. She knew that she was worshiping Jesus. She knew that she was giving her best to Jesus, but she didn't know what Jesus meant when he said, she's preparing me for burial. Because less than a week from now, Jesus is gonna be tried on trumped up fake charges in a kangaroo court done at night. He's gonna be beaten and scourged. What that means is literally they took a, a whip that had nine tails that has glass and it has rocks and stone on the end of it and he's beaten where it sticks into his back and then it rips the flesh from his body. He's gonna be beaten to an inch of his life. Within an inch of his life and he's gonna have to carry his cross or the cross beam of his cross all the way up to this hill called Golgotha where the Romans crucified the worst of the worst. He's gonna be spit on. He's gonna have his beard ripped from his face. He's gonna hang there as the sinless, spotless son of God and he's going to be killed. Why? For you. He's taking your name to the cross. He's purchasing your soul at the cross. He's buying your righteousness at the cross. He's doing all that for you. Jesus is, in one sense, Jesus is actually the true and better alabaster, alabaster flask that is broke open on the cross and his blood and water flows out as an act of worship to his great God that saves us. Jesus gave his own life to save us. How, how do you look at that 
and go, no big deal. How do you look at that and go, but yeah, football? So I don't want us to focus. We're not focusing this morning on our response necessarily. We're focusing on how do you see Jesus? And we are forgetful people. The life of the Christian never looks away from the cross. Never looks away from the cross. It's at the cross that I'm convinced that Jesus loves me. It's on the cross that I'm convinced that God is for me. It's on the cross that I'm convinced that God is in control of all things and he's gonna make all things new. And of course, the empty tomb as Jesus defeats death. This morning, we get to respond to Jesus in three ways. First, if you've never put your faith, your trust, your worship on Jesus, I invite you to do that this morning. Say, Jesus I believe you did that for me. Help my unbelief. And if you do that this morning, Jesus Christ saves you. You become adopted into his family. Secondly, we're gonna worship God and Jesus through the taking of the Lord's Supper, that Jesus tells us to do this as often as we come together. And then third, we're gonna respond in worship by singing to Jesus. And listen, maybe you've never lifted your hand. Maybe you've never sang out very loud, but I encourage you this morning to do that. Lift up your hand to Jesus. He is supremely valued. Listen, most of us have no problem doing it at a football game. We got no problem doing it wherever we're at, right? Don't have a problem doing it here. Don't have a problem doing it here. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your grace to us, seen most perfectly in the death and resurrection of your son. Your grace is so messy. It gets into... Sin, brokenness, it gets into the tomb and it brings the dead back to life. I pray that through the power of your spirit, you are bringing the dead back to life this morning, bringing them to new life in Christ, causing them to be born again. We want to see and know and love and worship Jesus as supremely valuable this morning. Help us have eyes that can see that. Father God, would you do that? Would you overcome obstinacy? Would you overcome doubt? Would you overcome fear? Would you overcome suffering? Give us eyes to see the supreme value and worth of Jesus this morning. And as we come to the Lord's table, on the night that you were betrayed, Jesus, you picked up the bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body that's broken for you. You told us to eat, eat of it. As often as we come together, you took the cup of wine and you said, this is my blood that was shed for the remission of sins, the cup of the new covenant, that we are no longer justified under law. We are justified by grace. We are made new by the work of God in Christ. So Father of mercies, thank you for the gift of this bread, which we confess provides us with the body of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask you to enable us to eat of it in faith and to be made more fully members of his heavenly body through Christ our Lord. Father of mercies, thank you for the gift of this wine, which we confess provides us with the blood of your son, our savior. We ask you to enable us to drink of it in faith and to be conformed more and more to the image of his death through Christ our Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.